Good morning, Transit family. <clears throat> Feel free to grab a seat. Feel free to grab a seat. I forgot. I cannot believe this. I forgot. It is Ian Hannah's birthday today. Yeah. And it was Marina's birthday yesterday. So if you see them, sing them happy birthday. We're going to start singing. I'm not, we're not going to call up the band and sing happy birthday, but make sure you give them a, a birthday hug, all right? Um, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 5. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17 today. If you're new at the Transit Church, uh, primarily we go through books of the Bible from uh, the pulpit, and we're in Ephesians today. And um, if you're new to the church in general, Ephesians is a letter written by uh, a guy named the Apostle Paul, who was a key leader in the early church after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And he's writing to new Christians that are living in this city uh, called Ephesus. And it's a city uh, that's pagan and polytheistic. And um, what, the reason uh, the Apostle Paul is writing this in 62 AD from jail, awaiting execution for being a follower of Jesus, is he's instructing these new believers on, on what it means to follow Jesus in a culture that isn't. And what we know about Ephesus at that, at that time is that that culture was also very hostile to followers of Jesus. And the context of kind of where we've been at these last few weeks in Ephesians chapter 5 is Paul has been talking uh, and encouraging and, and challenging the, the new believers in Christ to, to continually practice putting off the, the old self and putting on the new self in Christ. That before they came to know Jesus, they had an old way of thinking. They had an old way of viewing their lives, an old way of, of living. And, and now that they've come to know Jesus and been saved and filled with the Spirit, they've been given a new way of thinking, a new way to live their lives. And so if you weren't here last week, Jake gave a very powerful message. I encourage you to listen to that on uh, putting off immorality, sexual immorality and coveting, and to put on gratitude and integrity under the grace of God and by the power of the Spirit. And today, Paul's exhortation is still kind of in that lane of old self, new self, but it's more broad and all-encompassing in its application. And essentially, what Paul is saying to the early church and what uh, we believe is for us today is simply this, don't waste your life. Don't waste your life saying put off foolishness and walk in wisdom and how you use the precious life that God has given you. So the main idea of our sermon this morning is that your life is a precious, sacred, miraculous gift from God. So let's take great care with how we steward this precious life he's given us. It's a great invitation of God today in our sermon. So let's go to God's word and then we're going to go to God in prayer and then we'll dive in. So Ephesians 5, 15 through 17, verses will be on the screen. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Let's pray. Father, we love you. There is no other name by which man can be saved, God. There is power in your name. We are gathered here, Lord Jesus, because your name, your blood spoke a better word over our sin, Lord God. Where some of us are in this room because your name pushed back spiritual darkness out of our lives, Lord Jesus. Thank you for the power of your name, God. And Jesus, would everything else be forgotten? Would you be magnified today? Would our eyes be fixed on you? Would you help us, Lord God, to see and to know that you are real, you are truly enthroned, and that you are truly present by your spirit with us? And that changes absolutely everything about how we live our lives. So we 
uh, we bend our knee to you again, Lord God. Like that beautiful call to worship that Silas gave. Lord, your authority, your power, your glory today, let that be our anthem. And let us decrease and you increase. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. So in our text, we see the contrast between two ways of viewing your life and living your life. And one of the ways you could live your life is to walk in foolishness, we see in our text. And the other way is to walk in wisdom. And so we literally have a command in verse 19, don't be foolish, right? Don't be a fool. Like, don't be, don't be stupid. And, and at first glance, you might be thinking, oh, well, is Paul talking about, like, raising your IQ to the early church? Like, hey, I need you guys to, um, at Ephesus... Um, I need you to raise your SAT scores. Uh, they've been pretty low this quarter. Uh, I need you to apply at Ephesus Tech and get your master. You know, that's not what he's talking about here. That's not what biblical wisdom is. What we know scripturally is that walking in wisdom in your life is, has nothing to do about your SAT scores. Nothing wrong with being smart, having good SAT scores. You high schoolers, you hear me this. All right? <laughs> My kids were here. I tell them, hey, you study hard. All right? I'm not knocking that. But walking in wisdom is not about your SAT scores. It's all about who you call Lord. It's about who you call Lord. And how does the lordship of Jesus manifest in your life? We can profess Jesus as Lord, but then if we bust out our calendar and our time and, and, and our heart's desires, is that true to how we live our lives? It's not about your SAT scores. It's about who you call Lord, who's calling the shots in your life. And once we know who our Lord is, then we will know how to live in wisdom. Once we understand where we came from, we'll understand why we're here and then how we are to live. And so I'm gonna, we're going to go on a journey. We're going to start. We're going to go broad, uh, maybe some philosophical, maybe some back to the basics, just talking about foundational Christian worldview stuff. And then towards the end, we're going to get narrow and specific in our application. And so it's three simple truths about how to walk in wisdom with the life God has given you. And the first one is this. The first point is this, is understanding that my life came from God. My life came from God. And some of you are saying, uh, Nick, we're not in the upper elementary. Like, what are you? <laughs> like, uh, duh. Like, we, we're here. We're Christians. We believe that God created and spoke everything into existence. But the reason I share that is in our Western context, this is a radical claim. This claim that there is a designer behind the design we see, there is an, an intelligence behind the intelligence we see in this universe, is a, is, a, is a viewpoint that in our Western context is seen as foolish and silly and stupid, right? And I was uh, sharing my uh, faith uh, a couple years back in Springfield Mall, and atheists said uh, that just because we see evidence of uh, a God or fine-tuning, that, that doesn't necessitate uh, us positing uh, a God who is eternal, uh, who spoke things to, to existence in the Big Bang. And uh, I was thinking about what he said, and it was a good conversation, and I wasn't trying to argue with him. I was just trying to share the love of Christ. And um, I went home, and I was going, you know what? If somebody broke into that guy's house when he gets back from the mall, doors kicked open, all his dresser drawers are all over the place, someone writes in the mirror, sorry, bud, thanks for your wallet. Um, there's, there's intelligence there. He wouldn't, and, th and then I could be in his house with him and say, hey, so it's actually a false deduction for you, you can't see the person that was here, but nobody was here. It just happened. It just happened by chance, right? And so uh, the atheistic worldview, to believe in that, to believe that there is nothing behind this world that we see, is to believe this, is to believe that 
nothing created everything, is to believe that the order we see, the design we see, came from chaos, came from an unguided explosion. Anyone here, 4th of July, blow up stuff? Did anything intelligent come from that? Yeah, maybe you lost some digits, hopefully not, on your fingers, but usually with explosions, it's chaos, not order. But then to be a materialist, to be an atheist, is to believe that the order, the beauty, the design, the intelligence, just the, the complexity of DNA came from randomness, explosion. And then, and then it even goes even further, to be an atheist, to, to not believe in intelligent design, again, I haven't even gone to the scriptures yet, just talking logically, is then to believe that all of life as we know it, all of life as we know it came from non-life, came from non-life, from, from dead matter. And so this explosion happened, and then there was this bowl of soup, primordial soup, and again, I'm not talking about old earth, young earth. I'm just saying, do we believe that there is an intelligent designer behind the intelligence and the design that we see in the universe? And so, but the, the atheist would say that um, there was this primordial bowl of slime that the sing first single-cell organism came out of, and then all of life arose from that. And the reason I want to hone in on that is this, is if that is actually true, and if you're here today and you believe that, where in the world do you begin to talk about your life having value and meaning? Because... If all of us are here and we're just the byproduct of a cosmic accident and the byproduct of a meaningless cosmic accident explosion, but then also of cosmic waste, right? Then, then, then the exhortation to not waste your life doesn't make sense because our life literally is the result of cosmic waste. You, are you tracking with me? And so then where do we go talking about value, talking about dignity, when, when if that is true, we have no more worth and value than a fly, Right? But in contrast to that, the Christian worldview is that there is a God of love who's eternal, who's outside of time, who's outside of matter, who spoke those things to existence at the Big Bang. That's how we got here. And our value, our worth, knowing that our life has meaning comes because the Christian worldview says that when you look at humanity, they're stamped with the image of God, that we are made in the image of God. And so the reason I want to share that is we, we got to go broad before we go specific. Is this, let me uh, flip my page here so I know where I'm at in my notes. Is if you and I are the byproduct of an eternal, good, all-powerful, loving God of the universe who spoke us into existence, then your life is sacred and, and, and precious and valuable. And if we understand that, we will begin to steward our life well. Because if you don't believe that your life has value, nothing I say about stewarding your time matters. But if you believe that my life is precious because God has crafted me, I am the workmanship of God. I am beautifully and wonderfully made. God has given me the precious and sacred gift of life. I matter. You matter to God. Whether you believe in him or not, God created you and he loves you and your life is precious to him. And if we don't believe that, then we won't, we'll waste our lives. What's the point? From nothing we came from, nothing we return. Eat, drink, be married. Tomorrow you die. You die. What's the point? But if we understand that, one, our life is extremely valuable. How we spend our time is extremely, it's a precious gift from God. But then, two, what scripture says is our life is a vapor and a mist. It's limited in its supply. So follow me. We're going on a little logical uh, deduction here, okay? So, one... Because our origin, because we came from God, our life has value and worth. So we need to walk wisely there. And then secondly, at least on this side of glory, our time is very limited. And so I, uh, I like to drink some high-end coffee. It's my one weakness as a follower of Jesus. 
And uh, it's not my one weakness, goodness gracious, sorry. If you know me, you're like, Nick, oh my gosh. Uh, sorry. Some of you are like, dude, I've been watching you preach. I can tell you about some other weaknesses. <laughs> and so it's one of my many weaknesses. Okay, so let's just stay humble. All right. And if you're like me, it's hard to just drink regular coffee. Like nothing against Maxwell House or Folgers. Like, and if you drink that, God bless you. I wish I could do that, okay? But I, I'm kind of like the single origin, someone say preach, single origin, Ethiopian, Blanchard's down in Richmond, they just roasted this thing, you know what I'm talking about? And if you don't know what I'm tracking, like the point of this illustration, replace single origin with single barrel, and then maybe some of you will get what I'm getting at, <laughs> some of y'all. And uh, so when I have, when somebody gifts me this precious bag of freshly roasted coffee, man, I steward that well. Why? It's valuable. Well, where does its value come from? Well, let me tell you who made it, right? Oh, this is a Blanchard's. Oh, they, this is a good roaster. Right, they, they did this well. This is an Ethiopian single origin from Blanchard's Coffee Shop down in Richmond. Let me tell you, why is this valuable? Let me tell you where it came from, right? So value, linked, but then it's also limited. In I have one bag. So sorry if you come over to my house. I got Maxwell House out for you, and then your boy is secretly doing a pour over. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. <laughs> right? Verse 16 says this, make the best use of the time because the days are evil. It's not that your time and your life is evil, but that your time is so precious that what the culture wants to do is say that your time isn't precious. It's actually your, your time isn't uh, 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 highly valuable like a fresh and roasted coffee. It's, it's, it's Folgers, right, or, or Maxwell House. It's, it's cheap, right? It's, it's, uh, it's flipping. You can just spend it however you wish. It doesn't matter how you spend your time. That's what the culture says. And you might be saying, well, Nick, how is the culture telling us to waste our time? Uh, why do we need to make the best use of time? How is the culture, how are the days evil telling us to waste our time? Let me give you one word. Netflix. <laughs> you imagine getting on your deathbed in your 80s and your biggest regret is like 40 years ago not binge watching that stupid series. That, like, come on, right? Netflix, YouTube, like the way, the way we're getting distracted today is just a screen and a Wi-Fi connection, whatever it is, news, social media, YouTube, uh, Netflix, like, like just that, that whole cocktail. So we never have time to abide and, and fellowship with the Lord, but we never have time to apply this scripture to our life. Look, verse 15, verse 15, look carefully with great intention how you walk. Verse 16, make the best use of your time because if you're not careful, you're going to waste it. It's precious. It's valuable. It's limited in its supply. And so when you have those two in, 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 your, in your brain, then you go, okay, I need to be careful how I spend this. I need to give thought to my life and to my practice, okay? Second point, my life is not my own, but belongs to, belongs to God. My life is not my own, but belongs to God. I have three precious kids at home. I got another one on the way come November, and um, I love my kids. In no way am I trying to uh, minimize how much I love them and how amazing they are, um, and I was a kid like this, and so uh, that disclaimer's out there. Um, but if I had a dime, just a dime, for every time I heard the word mine in my household, I would have enough money to fly with Jeff Bezos into space the next time he wants to, I'm talking billions, right? And so they'll fight over these toys. Like, that's my toy. And I'm pulling out the receipt. I'm like, that's my name. That's the last four of my credit card. What do you mean yours? And of course, I gave that to you on your birthday. And sure, in a way, it's yours. But ultimately, whose toy is that? Whose food is that on the table? Come on. Oh, your dad said preach. Come on. I got the receipt. 
It's in my name. I got the proof of purchase. That belongs to me. And how often is this our approach to our lives? Mine. Belongs to me, right? Not God's. We wouldn't be here if there wasn't God. We wouldn't be here, right? And then we have the audacity to shake our fists at the heavens and say, don't you touch my life. Don't you touch my time. Oh, you, oh, you mean the life I gave you? The time that I spoke into existence? I have better plans for you. I have a better life for you. I have a better future for you. I have so much more than you. No, I know it's best. Get out of my life. I want nothing to do with you. Maybe it's a misunderstanding of God. Maybe we, maybe we have some really bad experience with Christians, right? And so we're just turning away. But that's not God's heart. God has so much better in store for us. But we say, don't you get your hands off of my life. That's what we tell God. That's sin. That's literally what sin is, is get your hands off my life. I'll do what I want. And what we learn, what Scripture teaches us, is that we belong to God. Our life is doubly owned by him. Not only has he created us, but when all of us, me being the chief of sinners, all of us have strayed, all of us have walked away from God, all of us have looked at God and said, don't you dare touch my life, I'm going to do what I want. And in light of that, God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to come running for us to rescue us out of sin by dying on the cross to pay the penalty that separated us from God and to bring us back home, like we sang about today, to bring us back to God, to restore us back to the God of life so we can have true and abundant life in knowing the living God and find our purpose again in Christ Jesus. And so not only has God created us, but when we ran from him in our sin, he redeemed us. So he doubly owns us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20 says this, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. I love that line. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. And so if you were to ask who, uh, who holds the receipts to your life as a Christian, Jesus would show his nail-scarred hands and say, these are the proof of purchase on your life, that your life belongs to me. The hands that created you and the hands that redeemed you on the cross. This is the proof of purchase, the body and the blood of Jesus broken for us. He holds the receipt to our life. And the reason I want to hone in on this, again, go broad and then get more and more specific, is that if we believe premise number one, that life comes from God, because it comes from God, and the scriptures say we're made in the image of God, that we have dignity, worth, and value, that our time is valuable and and, and limited, but if we stay at premise one, but we don't get to premise two, that our life belongs to God, then we're going to try to go Tim McGraw on this thing. All right, are you tracking with me? Anyone live like you're dying? Anyone listen to that like 15 years ago? Or is it totally over everybody's head? So there's this genre of music called country music, in case you guys didn't know. <laughs> and uh, this song was trending, and I, I heard uh, pastors use this. Uh, actually, had a, had a pastor play this song at another church uh, as an example and I'm going to share it as what not to do. Uh, and so uh, the song Live Like You're Dying is this narrative song of a guy who discovers that he has terminal cancer. And then it's a song about how he's going to spend his life. And the chorus, sing it if you know it, um, is uh, I dive in, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. Yep. That's the actual line in the song. That's the chorus. 
And so if we don't get from premise one to premise two, then we're going to say, okay, my time is limited. I got to go skydiving. I got go, to find a bull to ride on for 2.7 seconds. Like, I'm just going to selfishly live. But where true life comes, true and abundant life comes, is when we dethrone the unholy trinity in our life. The unholy trinity is me, myself, and I. That I am on the throne of my life. Life is about me. I am the center and the apex of the universe. Everything revolves around me, me, myself, and I. That's the unholy trinity. And the only way we find life is when we lose our lives in God and lose our lives in God. So my life is not my own but belongs to God. And, man, I went so far ahead of my notes, but this is what I want to say here is if we miss, oh, this is where we go, ha <laughs> If we miss premise one but don't get the second one, we'll miss the point of our existence, and then we'll get a misapplication of the text. And the misapplication of the text could be this. If I just went straight to application and didn't go broad and philosophical, I would just say, you know, the, the temptation would be get better time management skills. Get better time management. Get yourself, you know, a good uh, daily planner, uh, a good app, some good accountability, maybe a, a, a life coach. All great things. All the great things. Manage your time well. Do that. But the million-dollar question, what I'm getting at, is this. Whose time are you managing? Whose time is it? That's the issue. It ain't our life. It's Christ's life. We now live it for him, to glorify him, to do his will, to honor him, not our ours, not our own. Whose life are we living? Whose time are we managing? And if you had a job back in high school, like I did, a couple jobs, you, like, there's these things called punch cards. There's a physical piece of paper with ink on it, in case if you're a uh, Gen Z or you don't know what that is. It's pen and ink, and you'd punch it in, and you'd punch in. And when you punch in, you shift from going, okay, my time to my employer's time. And so I'm, I'm at the front desk at Reston Skate Quest, you know, at high school. They tell me what I'm to wear. They tell me how I'm supposed to spend my time. They tell me what I'm to say, and I, and I punch in. I said, this time belongs to you. I'm not pulling up a TV and Xbox, you know, and playing Halo like I did in high school at the front desk because, because that's not my time. I'm punching in. And often our view with God is, is uh, on Sunday mornings, boom, we punch in. God, this is your time. Community group, oh, we punch in. Boom, God, this is your time. Quiet time, right? Oh, we punch in. All right, God, this is your time. Okay, cool. Deuces, okay, my time, right? And there's no such thing. When we become a follower of Jesus, guess what? We've, we're done punched in, never to punch out right? Everything belongs to God. This is what Jesus says in Luke 9, 23 through 25. And he said to all, if anyone would come after me, all are invited. I don't care where you're at today. All are invited to the king's table. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. That is Jesus in love giving us the best advice he could ever give us. Life isn't about you. It's about finding your life in me. And that's where true life is found. That's what you're created to do. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? And the secret to a life of fulfillment is when you and I begin to believe and understand that it's not about us. It's not about us. It's about God. And it's about loving other people. And it's the beauty of self-forgetfulness. Losing our lives in God so we get God. We don't get to, you know, uh, uh, keep the, the holy trinity, the, the unholy trinity enthroned me, myself, and I while also uh, trying to say that the holy trinity is enthroned in our life. And so worldly wisdom would say, uh, gain the whole world. Live for the moment. Live to achieve your selfish desires. Live for the American dream. 
Live for your personal fulfillment. Forget God. You don't need that God. Uh, and, and just do that. And godly wisdom would say this. You can gain the whole world. You can gain billions of dollars, have your name, uh, your, your popularity. All, you can gain all of it. But if you miss God, if you miss God with your life, you've missed the entire reason you exist. That's what Jesus says here. Hey, follow me. And I'm going to give you something better than anything this world can offer, eternal, abundant life, and knowing the living God, your creator, who created you for himself, which is my last point here, is the third tenet that we're getting, and I'll, I'll slowly wrap up this, we're going to get a little bit more narrow, is my life purpose is to accomplish God's will and not my own. My life purpose is to accomplish God's will and not my own. That's what worship is. If we are to live our lives in an act of worship, it is surrendering my will to God's will. And as his love is poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit and changes us, what our prayer is, Lord, would you melt my will into your will so that there's only one will reigning and ruling over my life. And so what we've seen so far is that life comes from God. Uh, our lives belong to God. And lastly, our lives are to be lived for God. Verse 17 of our text. Therefore, do not be foolish but understand what the will of the Lord is. Don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Often when we uh, try to discern God's will for our life, uh, it can really crush us as followers of Jesus. It's like this mysterious uh, puzzle that we need to figure out, and we're just like, if I just knew God's will, uh, I, would, I, would, you know, I, would, I would obey it and all this stuff. It can really, I've seen it kind of in my own life and in, in counseling other people, really kind of mess with people's brain. And um, it's actually the reason why I think it's so difficult for us to, that we get tripped up on this is we focus on the plan, getting the plan, and we don't focus on the person. We focus on the will. Oh, just give me, just give me, the, give me, give me the, the, the play-by-play. I don't want you. I don't want a relationship with you. And we see it's not just the game plan for your life. It's the will of God, his plan for your life. That's what we are to be aiming at. We want the plan. Often we don't want the person. We focus on knowing the will, not the person who has the will for our lives. So John 5, 19 through 20, Jesus Christ says this about his relationship to God the Father during his earthly ministry. And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. There's one will there. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. I love verse 20. The father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And so what we see there is that understanding God's will is first and foremost understanding that it's an invitation to a relationship of love. That God loves you and because God loves you, he invites you to come close, to come near, to, to understand his ways, to understand his thoughts and to live your life in relationship and fellowship with him, it's, it's amazing. And then the second thing we learn about this in verse 20 is understanding God's will. Please listen to this. Please listen. Understanding God's will is not about, um, oh, I missed said that in my notes. Let me try to, sorry. <laughs> this is the second thing I want to hone in on. Often when we try to understand God's will, we think it's this. We think it's inviting God into our plans. God, you come with me. I want to understand what your will is for my plans. And in, in the contrast is this. It's God inviting us into his plans. It, 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 understanding God's will, sometimes we say, God, I want you on my calendar. How do, I, how do I get you on my calendar? And God's saying, how do I get you on my calendar? Right? 
It's, it's, it's handing the calendar to God and saying, God, you have plans. God has plans. God has somewhere he's going in your life, that he wants to go in your life to bring blessing to those around you. And so it's not, God, get on my calendar, get on my agenda. Understand the will of God is, God, how do I get on your agenda? God, what are you up to? And am I coming with you? I want to go with you, right? Every day is, is, is the God the Father taking his kids to work day, getting us getting on his calendar, not us getting God on our calendar. And that, isn't that amazing? Isn't that a beautiful invitation? Like how amazing is that, that God the Father, as he loved the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing, that's the same invitation. That we're, when, we're, when we're told to discern what is pleasing to God and understand the will of God, we're saying, God, in love for us, you love us. What are you up to? What are you doing? What do you want for my time? How do I get on your calendar? How do I get on your planner, not get you on mine? So then it begs the question, we're going to narrow down to three. We're getting, now we're getting more narrow in the specific application that comes from our text, is how do we grow in understanding God's will so that we can walk in wisdom? And the first point we get, we see, is that it's not going to happen by accident, right? If we just live our lives in autopilot, never wrestling with the deeper questions of our faith and our walk with Jesus, we're not going to live a life of wisdom. We're going to live a life of, of, of being on autopilot and living foolishly with our God-given time. Verse 15 of our text says this, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So a real simple application It's for you and I, maybe this week, this afternoon, tonight, get like half an hour to maybe two hours, and with the help of God in prayer, maybe pen and paper out, just you, and begin to look carefully about your life. Reflect. Turn off the TV. You maybe don't know what that is. Turn off the iPad, all right? Turn off the computer, whatever it is. Shut it down and get still before the Lord. This uh, 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 looking carefully looks like something. Uh, making the best use of your time comes through intentional, careful effort. This is an invitation to self-examination. That we in Northern Virginia, my goodness, we need a dose of slow down, Sabbath, listen, abide in God, okay? Get that on your calendar and then ask deep questions, right? Ask it, God, I'm claiming to be a follower of you. Am I following you and how I view my finances and how I view my time and how I view my life? God, what are you telling me to put off? Where are, you, where are you inviting me to go this week, this year, this next 10 years? Just go and do that. Have that be a healthy rhythm of your life. I'm going to fire through these because we're running out of time. Secondly, uh, so one, walking wisely requires careful attention and prayerful re- reflection over our lives. It's not going to happen by accident. So we've got to make time for it. Secondly, it requires knowing the word, right? We believe as Christians the Bible is God's revelation of who he is, God's revelation of who we are, and God's revelation of how we live a life connected in worship to him. So if you want to know who God is and what your life purpose is, look no further than God's word. And Psalm 119, 105 says this, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And so if we were to change the language of our text today and replace the days are evil with the days are dark, the days are dark, and then we were to ask, well, how do we get from point A to point glory on this side of eternity? How do we walk in a, in a, in a place that's really dark? Well, we need the light of God's word to show us what the narrow path of Jesus looks like and to avoid the minefields that we're dancing in, right? 
God's word is beautiful. It says, yo, there's a, you're dancing in a minefield right now. You're like moonwalking through a minefield. Repent. <laughs> Turn back to God. That doesn't end well, right? And more than that, it shows us the narrow path, right, between two worlds, just like that photo, right? There's the, the, between two worlds, the narrow path of Christ, the way is hard that leads to life. God has revealed that to us. He hasn't left us in the dark. He's given us a beautiful flashlight. It's his word. This is God's will. If you want to know God, you want to know his will, you cannot know that apart from his word. But at the same time, the third point is this, is, and this is my last point before conclusion, it requires prayerful self-reflection. It requires being dedicated to knowing the, the word of God. I did a whole sermon on this at the beginning of the year in our sermon series, Hearing God's Voice. I encourage you to listen to that to get more on that. And then thirdly, it requires prayerful fellowship with God by the Spirit. Prayerful fellowship with God by the Spirit. Ephesians 5.10. This is a few verses before our text today. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And Romans 8.14 says this. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. That God's children have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And that the leadership of God actually looks like something in our lives. The leadership of God by his Spirit looks like something. It looks like uh, his voice. It looks like the fruits of, of the spirit of joy and of peace. It looks like our desires, our affections changing. It looks like the grip of, of sin over our life diminishing as the Holy Spirit is inside. The leadership of the spirit looks like something in our lives. God's spirit is God himself inside of us. We are the temple of God. And Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And so um, if we were to go to the word, we would see that Jesus would say the greatest commandment is to love God with everything you have and love your neighbor. Okay, so that's the word. Okay, I know that to be a follower of Jesus, I need to be committed to love my neighbors, to love my enemies, and pray for those who persecute me. And then where the spirit of God comes in, prayerful fellowship with God by the spirit is, okay, which neighbor? And how should I love them? And you begin to pray. You begin to fellowship with God. You say, Lord, you've told me to, to love my neighbor. And I got a long list of neighbors and coworkers and people in my life. So now how can I be led by your spirit to meet their needs, to enter into deep discussions with them? I need your help. So you're, you're saying that's the play. That's the command. And then spirit, help me. Lead me in this moment to do that. And so um, I'm giving a sermon on using your time wisely. But, man, I watched a, a Netflix series called Quarterback this week. Anyone seen it? It's amazing. Okay, so. I didn't watch the whole thing, okay? But uh, it has Kirk Cousins. So Kirk Cousins is a big-time Christian, and uh, it's a film crew that uh, last season was embedded with Patrick Mahomes, Kirk Cousins, and Mark Mariota. And it's just really fascinating to see uh, how they live their lives. And I was just really curious to see, okay, Kirk Cousins, how does his faith change? But one thing that struck me with the quarterback position, it's all about kind of this whole series on, on, on being quarterback, is Kirk Cousins, man, Every week, they have to memorize the playbook, and the playbook changed. So he's dedicated, if you will, using this illustration, he's dedicated to the word, to the playbook that the coach has handed to him. Here's the defense we're facing. Here's all the plays. And he's got his, he's got his pen and his paper out, and he's drawing the plays. And then there's a secret code for all the plays. Alpha, Charlie, uh, Bravo, potato chips, you know, and then they all go running. And say. So he has that memorized. And then I didn't, I didn't really know this. I'm not, I, watched, I'm not, I didn't play football. So uh, uh, when Kirk Cousins gets on the field, he puts his helmet on. And there's headphones in his helmet. And the head coach is communicating to him and saying, at least this is the way it works with Kirk Cousins. I don't think it works with other quarterbacks. The head coach is saying, I'm calling the plays. Listen to my voice. 
I'm going to call the plays. He's going to know the plays, and then we're going to execute the plays. And there was this incident in a very, very important game. The, the Vikings ended up winning, but it was fourth quarter. The Vikings were about to uh, drive it home into the, the end zone. It was fourth and one at uh, the goal line. And Kirk Cousins, in this moment, right before this happened, before the drive, the head coach told Kirk Cousins, he says, they got it on the camera, trust me. Let me, play, let me do the play calls. Just trust me. And he trusted him all the way until he got to the goal line, and then Kirk Cousins goes rogue, and he says, I'm calling the play. We're doing a QB sneak. And uh, he missed the QB sneak. He didn't make it. He missed it by an inch. And then when they come back, the coach is like, hey, man, so, like, I was going to call a timeout, and I was going to call a better play. Why did you go rogue? Why did you not listen, right? And so what's beautiful, this invitation of being a people of the word and being a people of the spirit is is uh, uh, the Lord can see something that we can't see, and he's present with us, and he can lead and guide us on our prayer walks. We're seeing God do this as we go out in our community, being led by the Spirit. People are getting, as we pray, the, the Lord is just giving names to people, and then we'll go out and we'll encounter people with those names. The Lord will guide our steps and bring places to mind that we'll go, and we'll encounter people. Therefore, like God is leading us by his Spirit. So we know the Word, but we also know the Lord and keep fellowship with the Spirit. Ephesians 6, 17 through 18 says this. This is coming up, and we're going to get into the armor of God. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. So there you go. Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit. Put on the helmet of salvation, the headphones, being dialed into the Holy Spirit, expecting God to speak and lead and move and call the place so that, okay, look, listen, like not every thought is God, right? But if you know the word, if you know the word inside and out and you sort it up in your heart and the thought comes to go pray for somebody in public, you know that, hey, that's probably the Lord. It lines up with his playbook. And, and the Lord's calling the play. And so I, I had this happen. And the reason I shared this story, some of you might have heard it before, is to instill fresh faith in us, in myself, to, to remember that God is with us and there's a lot that God wants to do. And also to, if you're here and a skeptic, I just want to uh, uh, invite you and challenge you, how do you explain this outside of God? How do you explain this outside of God? So a couple years back, I was out of state. I was at a grocery store with my wife. And uh, I passed this lady at the grocery store. And I, and I haven't had a lot of these, these moments happen. This was a very rare moment. So please don't think that I'm not sharing this to say, like, be like me or whatever. I, I'm just illustrating how God can move by his spirit to anyone at any time who's filled with the spirit of God. I passed this lady, and immediately I hear this still small voice flash across my mind, which I felt was the Lord, said, pray for that lady's kids. I'm out of state. I know no, nobody in this state. I know nobody in this grocery store. I've never met this lady in my entire life. She has no kids with her, okay? And often I just brushed that off, and I was like, man, that, I think that might be the Lord. So our groceries are here at the, uh, the, the, uh, the checkout. There's two cashiers here, and the lady's now loading her groceries up. And I don't, I don't know what to do. I'm super nervous, right? Like, I, I, like I'm, no, I'm no power evangelist or whatever, but I, I do something that was really weird. And I just say, I ask a stranger I've never met before, you, hey, do you have kids? And she's like, yo, dude, like, oh, <laughs> so weirded out, because that's a weird question to ask a stranger in public. And I was like, hey, well, I feel like God wants me to pray for your kids right now. Because she said yes. She's like, yes? And I go, I feel like God wants me to pray for your kids right now. And she's still really weirded out, as she should be. And I was like, um, and, and, and so I go, I, I, I asked her, I go, um, I feel like God wants me to pray for your kids. And she's like, okay, but like, can you, like, kind of the impression was like, get away from me. You are psychotic. And like, go somewhere else. Like, you're just weird. But I knew I, I, it was a rare moment where I really, I really felt a really strong impression that this was God. So I look at her and I go, no, 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 no. 
how can I right now, here, pray specifically for your kids? And at that moment, it was like something broke off of her. And she goes, wow, this is crazy. I just left the ICU. My little daughter has blood clots. And her heart, somebody with her heart or her lungs, just left the ICU. Her daughter, blood clots, emergency situation. Um, and I got her daughter's name. And I prayed for her in that moment. And uh, we, I, just, I feel the overwhelming love and compassion of God for uh, this individual who uh, the impression I was getting from the Lord was a single mom who's just been through the ringer and God is powerfully touching her in this moment um, and uh, Lord willing like healed her daughter of what was ever going what was going on and so then well, I, I, I say like you know God bless you I pull up my credit card and then I have no exit plan and so we, we leave and I hear her talking to the cashiers wow this is so crazy so crazy and so that's what it means right, to be, hey, here's the playbook, let's be a people of the book, but also let's understand that the leadership of the spirit, that there's a lot that God can want to do in and through us when we're led by his spirit to advance his kingdom, okay, and then the third thing I would challenge uh, any non-believer with is, is how do you explain that, wait, like my wife was there, I'm not making this up, and there's a lot, there's a lot of stories that people in this room could share that I could share, was that a lucky guess, like a roll of the dice, like the things you have to wrestle with. One, I had the thought. It came. Secondly, when asked and pressed, it was completely bullseye accurate. And three, I had no prior information about this person, right? There's no way I could have known that outside of God. And God powerfully probably changed that girl's life and her daughter's life in that situation. And so that is who our God is. And that's what he's capable of doing. And that's the invitation today for all of us is to discern what is pleasing to God. So let's bow our heads in prayer. We're gonna respond by taking communion. And communion, Jesus on the night he was betrayed, before he went to the cross to die for our sins, he shared one last meal with his disciples. And he broke bread. And he said, take this body, which is gonna represent my body broken for you. And then he drank wine. He said, drink this wine which is my blood shed for your sins. And he said, do this in remembrance of me. So we want to do this in remembrance of me. If you're here and a follower of, of Jesus today, there's communion elements in the hallway that you can grab so you can celebrate the Lord's Supper with us. And maybe you're here today and you're walking in shame and regret and you feel like you've blown it. Like I made a mess of my life. I haven't used my time wisely. I've wasted my time. Well, I want to share a quote I came across this week from a non-Christian communist philosopher and it's a quote about his thoughts about jesus and this is what he says about jesus christ i do not know much about this man but i do know this that his whole life conveys this one message anyone at any moment can start a new future anyone at any moment can start a new future and that's what we celebrate with communion today is that we don't have to live in our past his mercies are new every morning we can come to the table knowing that our sins are forgiven and that the, the future looks like more and more table fellowship with God. That's the invitation of God to all of us. Believer and non-believer, come close. I know your past more than you do. Let me handle your past and let me invite you into a far better future. Just give me your life. And so let's do that today. I'll call up the band and I'll pray for us and then we'll worship. Heavenly Father, we bless your name. We thank you, Lord, God, for the gift of life, how precious, how sacred that is, Lord God. Thank you, Lord, that our life isn't in our hands. How terrifying would that be? 
If we're Lord of our lives, if our life is just up to us, Lord, how often do we take it for granted, the profound truth that you hold us, you sustain us, you provide us, that we belong to you, God. So let that encourage us today. What a beautiful joy that we have God. And not that just that we have God, but God has us. And when we sought to run from God, he came running for us and brought us home. So bring your people home today, God. Bring us back, God, to your heart, to your presence. You have so much in store for us in our future. Show us how in the ordinary you want to break in, Lord God. Every area at all times on our commute, when we're changing diapers at home, a hard work situation, you're present. You're our present, able help in time of need, God. So bring us close. Draw us near, Lord God. Do that by your spirit. Thank you, Lord. We bless your name and pray this in your name. Amen.